Rising U.S. healthcare costs are prompting many Americans to fly away on medical tourism junkets looking for high-quality, lower-priced medical care at foreign destinations. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Joseph Woodman, president of the Healthy Travel Company and author of Patients Beyond Borders, a comprehensive guide to medical travel. Mr. Woodman, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. It's great to be here. What led you to write the book, Patients Beyond Borders? I have a background in publishing, and shortly after we sold our publishing company to International Thompson, uh, I co-founded a website that addressed wellness and health information and sold it to hospitals, insurers, and employers, and in turn sold that company in the year 2000 to uh, Proact Technologies in New York. But what stuck with me was a, a looming crisis in the form of a $2 trillion health tab in the year 2005. And no one knew how things were going to break out and what kinds of changes that was going to cause. Everyone in the business knew that was a little bit of an economy buster and that things just were not sustainable. So one of the things that grew out of that and out of the need to contain costs, consumer-driven, was the emergence of medical tourism as the term became coined. So that led to a professional interest, especially after my father decided he was going to head to uh, Mexico for a mouthful of restorative dentistry. And I followed him there and made some observations, returned home. Friends and neighbors were following me out the door for my father's email address once they learned some of the details, because almost everyone is less than three degrees removed from someone who needs an expensive medical procedure. Describe the research you did for the book. We naively started with around 50 countries we wanted to take a look at. This was three years ago. And that was quickly whittled down. The research involved contracting a couple of folks out of Duke Medical. We put an editorial team together. We surveyed hospitals and clinics, sent them pretty extensive surveys, uh, and demanded that they send them back. Not all of them did, and those were quickly eliminated. Uh, We looked into accreditation, and uh, we discovered that JCI, the Joint Commission International, was gaining ground quickly and That was an important benchmark for us because we figured that a homegrown association that had a lot of roots down in America that was beginning to embark on an international quest for for hospitals, while it may or may not be the gold standard, would give Americans quite a bit of comfort. We looked at the media. We looked at websites. We took references and personally contacted patients who had had experiences overseas with specific hospitals. We looked at success rates and mortality rates and then began to eliminate hospitals and clinics based on their responsiveness and based on what we found. We also looked at the cultural transparency aspect to make sure that from a travelability standpoint and a language barrier standpoint, the patients would be well served. What feedback are you getting from physicians? We know that physicians are purchasing the book. While publishers don't get a lot of direct feedback, we haven't gotten a lot of hate mail. I think it's physicians like patients, are are curious. They tend to be naturally an inquisitive crowd and want to learn more. And so most physicians, like patients, once they're informed, are less intimidated by the globalization of healthcare and by the prospects of losing business and losing their professions to this new phenomenon. 
In your experience, how have physicians typically reacted to medical tourism? That situation is improving almost by the month. It shouldn't be surprising that many physicians and surgeons are are not thrilled with the current state of healthcare here in the U.S., and many of them share some of the concerns and complaints of their patients. So in other words, we're, we're all in the same boat. Therefore, when professionals are informed about healthcare and medical travel abroad, we believe most of them will want to pull together with their patients to ensure that they receive the best, most cost-effective medical result for their clients, particularly those clients who have been financially compromised by the system. Do medical tourism companies exist to help patients? Yes, it's a growing and also, I might add, unregulated industry. So physicians and patients need to use caution. But it's an industry called the health travel planning industry or the medical concierge business where, much like regular general travel, patients can go to a specialist that will handle everything from their airfare and their accommodations overseas to getting passports and visas. Most important, though, the better folks tend to have long-standing relationships with the best hospitals and the best physicians and surgeons overseas so that their patients can get the very best service without having to do a lot of the research themselves. How do you choose a good one? I think by asking a lot of questions. Again, it's an unregulated business. Um, You definitely want to check credentials. You want to know how long they've been in business, how many people they've served, and definitely not only call patients who, despite HIPAA uh, regulations, many patients are eager and willing to talk about their experiences, and definitely call the hospital abroad, email or contact the hospital abroad that these folks represent or claim to represent, and get a professional assessment from the hospital. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Joseph Woodman, president of the Healthy Travel Company and author of Patients Beyond Borders, discussing medical tourism. Mr. Woodman, how much do the medical tourism companies charge? That varies. There is no standard plan. Uh, Some plans involve a straight-up non-refundable fee, which then is taken off the total cost once a client engages in a procedure. Some, there's no charge at all. It operates a lot like a travel agency, where the fee is taken off the top from the hospital or some of the accommodations agencies. There's no one set fee or fee structure, and it's up to the patient to ask about it and also to be somewhat critical. So, for example, if there's no charge at all, that usually means that a medical concierge or a health travel agency has a partnership with a hospital or a group of hospitals. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but you want to make sure that the hospital that they have the contacts with and the relationships with are the top hospitals in a given destination. In addition to where your father was cared for, have you visited some of these hospitals that you write about? Oh, yes. I'm on a three-year plan to visit nearly every hospital that we cite in the book, or at least every country. So the travels have taken me to Costa Rica. I actually had some dental care done in Costa Rica. I had an ancient extraction from a root canal along with a crown and an implant, so that took me to Costa Rica twice. It was uh, successful and saved about $1,300. Then went uh, went to India, to four destinations in India to check out a couple of the hospital networks there, including Apollo and Max and Escorts, mostly on the heart and orthopedic side. 
and then more recently into Southeast Asia, Singapore, Thailand, and Malaysia. And how do you summarize your findings? If you're just a walking around in Delhi and you look at a walk-in clinic, you better be prepared to bring your own bandages. If you have a mission and you've done your homework and you end up in an Apollo hospital or a MAX or an Escorts, it's not much different than being a hospital in the United States. If you're in a place like Singapore, which has arguably the top health care in the world, it's a mind blower because you think you're in a resort hotel half the time you're in these hospitals and the level of care is truly eye-popping. But I think, again, uh, with the possible exception of Singapore, there is a huge rift between the public and the private hospitals, just as our rift is growing here in the United States. So, again, it pays to be informed. You can't just arrive in a country and expect to get great health care in every medical destination. Give us some examples of price savings. We tend to send folks to a little further abroad for some of the more invasive surgeries because the infrastructure there is just better. So in Patients Beyond Borders, we have comparative costs. I want to caution folks that these are comparative costs only. There are a lot of mitigating factors that would change these costs, but these these are a result of our surveys. Heart valve replacement, U.S., $160,000. India, $9,000. Thailand, Ten thousand, Singapore twelve thousand five hundred, Malaysia nine thousand. A hysterectomy twenty thousand in the U.S., three thousand in India, forty five hundred in Thailand, six thousand in Singapore, three thousand in Malaysia. Uh, for dental, where we advise people to travel a little closer to home, an implant the U.S. cost of twenty four hundred dollars translates to around fifteen hundred in Mexico, sixteen fifty in Costa Rica, two thousand in South Africa, sixteen hundred in Thailand. Inlays and onlays, 420 in the U.S., 220 in Mexico, 120 in Costa Rica, 320 in South Africa, 120 in Thailand. So savings of approximately 30 to 70 percent for dental, 30 to 80 percent for some of the more invasive surgeries. How is recovery managed in terms of the more complex operations? Are patients encouraged to stay the whole time in the foreign destination or come home and follow up with their primary care physician? Oh, that's a good question. And the best hospitals not only encourage but require their patients to remain for at least that minimal recovery period to get over the critical complications that can develop. So at least a 10-day to two-week stay, depending on the procedure, is called for. And some countries, such as Costa Rica, have wonderful facilities. They're called recovery resorts or recuperation retreats, which are specifically dedicated to treating the patient with in-house nursing staffs to help with dressing wounds and patient compliance with pharmaceuticals and physical therapy, bathing, etc. Big hotel chains, such as Intercontinental, are beginning to set up recuperation facilities within their hotels, which involve interns coming in. But yes, the patient should be informed and should inquire about the recovery program and procedure. And if a physician or surgeon is willing to send that person home right after the procedure, that should be a red flag. Do patients dovetail medical procedures with a vacation? Not usually, unless it's a quite simple procedure like a teeth cleaning or a medical screening, which which are quite popular. Uh, anything more dramatic or invasive than that uh, should not be accompanied by a vacation. Our advice is to concentrate on your body, 
concentrate on the procedure and the quality of the care, concentrate on the recuperation recovery. Most people want to get back home to their families uh, and the security and the comforts of their home. And we encourage people to take some of that hard-won savings and take the vacation after they've cleared out the 400 messages in their inbox and gotten back down to, to a settled life. Mr. Woodman, thank you for joining us today to discuss medical tourism. You're welcome. I appreciate being here. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.